welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies to make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, bringing you the news to know for the week of June the 8th. So, got seven or eight stories on tap. Let's see what we can get through. First story out of EHR Intelligence came out on June 4th by Christopher Jason. It's how to promote health equity through EHR patient portals and mobile apps. I'll read you a few lines. The technology access, digital health literacy, and inclusive design are major health IT roadblocks that interfere with promoting health equity since the debut of the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology Interoperability Rule according to an article published in JAMA Network. The new regulations from the ONC aim to boost health information exchange, give patients more access to the health data specifically on their cell phones and address information blocking. All stuff that we knew. Now, they say patient portals are severely underutilized and not as accessible to traditionally underserved populations, those with limited English literacy and those with low socioeconomic status, the authors note. Likewise, mobile apps have not been designed for those same populations, and the ONC rules should aim to fix digital health equity. They go on to identify a couple of the problems with technology access. Number one, more than 21 million individuals in the country do not have broadband access. The majority of them come from underserved backgrounds or live in rural areas. And although 81% of individuals have a smartphone, the majority of racial or ethnic minorities who have a smartphone solely rely on that device for internet access. The writers state that local and state programs should expand and increase broadband access. Providers can also help by asking patients about their technology access and how they can adapt once given the answer. Next, digital health literacy is lacking across the country. Not only can some individuals not access their health information, but most cannot process and understand the digital information. So I'll stop there and comment on that. This is daily life for, for me, for the providers in my health system. We live in a rural area and we have broadband access problems and we have digital literacy problems. People may have a smartphone, they don't know how to use it. I was in the drugstore the other day and there was this man standing there who the pharmacist said, hey, it's $300 for your prescription and he started to break down in tears, uh, asked him to pull out his phone and showed him good RX and he got that prescription for $50. And so it no clue that he could do that. So that kind of digital, digital literacy is so vital. And as CMIOs, consider the programs that are in your system that help patients learn about this technology. I don't have any brilliant ideas here. I'm certainly open to it. I would love to see us produce content, perhaps that gets pushed out uh, on a video. We'll talk about video in the hospital in a later news article, but perhaps there's a video out there showing people, hey, here's how you use your smartphone. Here's how you put an app on it, and here's how you use that app. And this is the app our health system recommends for managing your diabetes and guiding people towards the right answers. There is technology out there comes out of Providence St. Joe's, it's called ZELTH, X-E-A-L-T-H, 
where the doctor actually prescribes an app and that patient then download gets a, a message in the portal they then download the app through that and then can use that app to manage their healthcare. Uh, great if you can get into the portal again we've got to help our patients get through that first burden and then all this opportunity should open up for how we can help communicate with them and make them more literate about their healthcare and about their digital tools. That was my point of that article. Next, also at EHR Intelligence, June 5th, Christopher Jason. And this one is EHR implementation leads to significant burnout and anxiety. No kidding. So this was a latest study out of the Journal of American Board of Family Medicine. And it was conducted by the College of Health and Human Services at George Mason University, analyzed over 1,200 medical professionals from over 150 small to medium-sized primary care practices in Virginia. And they used a change diagnostic index to analyze physicians' emotions and attitudes following technological or organizational changes at the workplace. Researchers found 31.6% of physicians reported burnout, while 17.2% of advanced practice clinicians and 18.9% of clinical support staff and 17.5% of administrative staff also experienced burnout. Not only did these respondents experience burnout, but all groups reported high levels of anxiety. Their recommendations, programs should focus on strengthening the work environment of small to medium-sized practices to improve organizational capacity for change and address high levels of anxiety experienced by physicians, advanced practice clinicians, and staff. And that's a little soft and fluffy to me. So my two cents on this, interesting that they focus on the small to medium-sized practices. I don't, I'm not familiar with a lot of data on that particular group of clinicians, primary care and small to um, medium-sized practices. As a matter of fact, there's probably less of them uh, every day. So I do think that EHR implementation would be stressful for them, of course, I think that was more in the days of going from paper to the EHR. I wonder now if you're just switching EHRs or if you get acquired and you're going on the new systems EHR, it may very well have a, a slight hit to your productivity for three to six months. And that's just the financial cost of doing business that you need to calculate if you're being acquired, put that into the cost of acquisition. So the physician burnout, of course, is an issue. I'm not making light of it. I'm not convinced that EHR go-lives are the predominant source of it. However, change and all of its factors and all of the ways it enters into our practices is important for CMIOs to think about. Next one, I like this article, comes out of Healthcare IT News from Mike Miller, June 5th. As telehealth becomes the new normal, the NCQA updates their quality measures. The NCQA has given the okay for what is calling a sweeping set of adjustments to 40 of the measures used for HEDA scores, given the new realities of widespread and scaled up telehealth use. The NCQA notes that updates to, and they list 40 measures, will be reflected in HEDA's Volume 2 technical specifications set to be published on July 1st with telehealth specific revisions outlining each measure's specs. And I'm not going to read you all the 40 measures, but as you can imagine, it's things in prevention and cardiovascular disease and diabetes and the conditions that we're used to seeing in HEDIS. So this is a quote from their president of the NCQA, Margaret O'Kane. 
You cannot drive quality improvement if your measures don't take into account what has quickly become the fastest growing modality for providing healthcare services. And I think that is spot on. But now I get to tell a story. So in our area, an insurance company that shall remain nameless is covering telehealth visits, in particular audio only telehealth visits, but only for primary care. And they don't cover it for specialists. And how in the world are specialists supposed to perform on these HEDIS measures if you're not letting them use the tools that they need to get the job done? Yes, video is preferred. Absolutely, I'm all about that. But I told you before, I live in a rural area and we're experiencing somewhere between 15 to 20% failure rates on our video visits, whether that's due to lack of broadband, whether it's due to patient literacy, not understanding how to use their device, it's there, whatever it is. We can't leave one in five of our patients behind. We have to be able to deliver this care. And so I am politely negotiating, establishing communication, very friendly with this health insurance company. The first response back I got was extremely obnoxious, telling me here's their telehealth policy and um, health in the hospital should go out and buy broadband for these patients which yeah wonderful doesn't even exist we can't even get the wires to their homes these people live on farms and they need they need cell access to be honest with you probably more than um digging wire into the ground but uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted and let you know where this one goes as i uh, go off to attack windmills here this is probably futile but for the betterment of our community here um, I'm trying to advocate for those who probably can't advocate for themselves. And I hope you as CMIOs, if you're in a rural area or even if you're not in a rural area, that you're advocating for those who don't have access to the technology. It, it probably exists in all aspects of our healthcare systems. So reach out to those who are disadvantaged and see what you can do to, to help. Next one out of Healthcare IT News, Patient Education TV, link to the EHR, ups this one hospital's HCAP scores. And this is June 5th, 2020, Bill Sawicki. Kidney and diabetic complications also happened to decrease by 15% and all-cause readmission rates decreased by 3% at the Medical Center of Bowling Green, which is in Kentucky. And Kentucky is known for having diabetic uh, problems, including excessive rates of prediabetes and uncontrolled diabetes. So the proposal that they were looking at was to identify video education and getting that in front of patients who are hospitalized as a means of educating them about their condition. They use a third party vendor. There's a bunch of them out there. Uh, I'm not gonna list them, but if you have questions, just go to the article, you'll see them all in there. At the medical center at Bowling Green, medication, demonstration of how to use nutrition and condition-specific curriculum were created to allow clinicians to easily assign and start videos for their patients. Video views automatically recorded to the hospital's Meditech EHR, and that was through an interface. So I love what they're doing there. So they say clinician, I'm assuming that may very well be a nurse who is, are typically really good at educating patients. They're assigning them a video, that TV that's sitting in the room and blaring the latest daytime television thing that's usually distracting when you're in the room trying to take a history and a physical, 
well, what if the patients could have good clinical content that's been curated by your health system, presented to the patients? The problem with these things is they're very expensive, but I think they're effective. And here are their results. Since the implementation of the system, video on demand utilization has increased over time. They're currently averaging 1,000 views each month. Combined video views on diabetes topics and medications now comprise one-third of total patient education viewing activity. Over the measurement periods of 2017 and 2018, the medical center saw an upward trend in their ACE-CAP scores for medication communication and understanding care at the time of discharge. Look, I think most of us would run around in a grass skirt if it would improve our HCAP scores in a meaningful way and improve the quality of life and healthcare for our patients. Well, I don't know if you're running around in grass skirts, but that's my point is that we would do just about anything. It's just a matter of whether this is in your budget. I love the way they're doing it. They're getting the clinicians to get engaged in the education and seeing if they can drive outcomes. We should all be doing great things like that. Uh, let's see, a couple quick articles out of Becker's Hospital Review. This one, Jackie Drees, on June 4th, lawmakers advance bill to make telehealth coverage permanent in Colorado. The Colorado Senate Committee on June 3rd passed a bipartisan bill that aims to uphold patients' ability to receive care via telehealth that happened to have been implemented during the COVID-19 public health emergency. The bill calls for insurance carriers to cover medically necessary telehealth services as long as they are delivered on a HIPAA compliant platform. The bill would also prevent health insurers from the following actions, which includes limiting the type of technology used to deliver telehealth services, requiring a beneficiary to have a previously established patient provider relationship to participate, and location or training requirements in order to be reimbursed for telehealth are also being uh, prevented from being limited. I think this is fantastic. The state of Colorado certainly has the right idea here and we need to get that to the federal level because a lot of our patients probably for most of us half of our patients are going to be in medicare programs and we need medicare to have the same kind of thing where yes it needs to be hipaa compliant i'm, I'm all about that i think that's fine keep us safe but don't limit the type of technologies if we can't get to someone through video then let us do it through other means I don't care if it's a HIPAA compliant carrier pigeon. We have to be able to communicate with those who do not have the ability to afford or just flat out live in a rural area where there's just no service because it's not economically feasible for the broadband carrier to get it out there. This one, it also comes out of Becker's, Providence to cut salaries of 1,200 providers. And this one is Friday, June 5th. So this one caught my attention, obviously, because cutting salaries of providers is, is scary. And as CMIOs, it got me to be, at least be thinking, start cutting the salaries of CMIOs. Well, I mean, Providence is a big system. And I mean, they're huge. The, uh, here's what they're saying. Reductions will be 10% for those earning under 150,000. 12.5% if you're between 150 and 300, 15% for those earning 300 to 500,000, and 17.5% for those earning more than 500,000. The latest round of belt tightening comes after Providence announced in May mandatory furloughs and pay cuts for 600 high earning employees, including executives. So I happen to think that Providence is doing this right, that they are extracting this from 
the high earning executives at the same time as they may be furloughing. That I think is politically a little more acceptable. I have a hard time when I read about HCA, the for-profit health entity that got what, hundreds of millions or perhaps a billion dollars from the federal government in aid to help their hospitals weather the storm. This is a for-profit hospital. And their CEO got paid in something in the range of between 20 and 30 million uh, last year. That particular person, and I, I don't know them at all, probably has some financial reserves that they could weather the storm pretty well. And I, I think they did take some pay cut, but if you're taking money from the government and you're still furloughing people and you're sitting on huge cash reserves. This is a publicly traded company. They have other options for raising money. I didn't like this one. So uh, hats off to Providence. I get what they had to do. Uh, I don't have quite the same criticism. My point is, if you ever need an example of how healthcare is broken, this is another one. Last article. This one is out of Healthcare IT Today. And Ann Zieger wrote this June 3rd, 2020. Healthcare IT execs say they're unhappy with the EHR-based analytic packages. This was done by a survey, and it was from Dimensional Insight, which is a health business intelligence and analytic solution provider, so keep that in mind. But nevertheless, listen to the data here. They surveyed 108 healthcare leaders about their use of analytics platform. 90% of these organizations reported that they do use the analytics in their EHRs with 50% using EHR analytics as their exclusive or primary analytics tool. And on a scale of zero to 10, with zero being absolutely horrified with what they have and 10 being extremely satisfied, those using EHR analytics had a kind of meh score of 5.58. No, that's not a quote from the article, meh, that's, that's my own term. Uh, more than half of the respondents said the comp uh, component was not robust or advanced enough. That's the problem with, with the tool. And they give a quote here, so I could kind of take it or leave it um, from, uh, that's uh, actually what Annie uh, said about it. So what are your, what's my take on this? I'm not terribly surprised. EHR vendors are, they're data repositories. They are billing tools. They are clinical decision support tools, perhaps. When used correctly, yes, they are. They're not known for their data analytics tools. And so many healthcare systems will drop a data visualization tool on top of their, their database. So getting data out of Epic, which is the system that, that we use, you've got 30, 40,000 clarity tables in there. And it's, it takes a lot of work to get data out. Now, Slicer Dicer, which is Epic's analytics tool for self-service analytics, I think is pretty cool. And I have found it to be really useful for exploring the data, helping me get some quick answers. I don't make huge business decisions based on them, but I can at least get a rough idea and then go to a business intelligence person and say, okay, we need a true report that's going to show us X, Y, and Z because this hunch that I have is showing up in this preliminary data saying we've got a problem in this area. So then what our business intelligence people do is, is we happen to use Tibco Spotfire, but many Tableau seems to be the, the one I hear most often. Click would be another one. Microsoft BI could be another. Um, and 
SAS has one, and there's a bunch of other packages out there, but they will then use that tool to do the more robust analytics, which is just what this article is saying, is that you are having a hard time out there getting robust data out of your EHR using just the EHR vendors tools. So my take on this is, yes, understand that. If you're going into the market to buy an EHR tool, then factoring the cost of business is you're gonna need another tool to get the data out. The EHR helps you get it in. It has some basic tools that'll help give you some initial gut feel type reporting and some directional data. But if you really wanna do the heavy lifting, you're gonna to have to put that into a different tool. And I will wrap it up there for today. Hope you all have a great week. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.